Tell me a memory that's happened long ago for Sammy. His first experience with the camera and the joy that it could actually bring to his mother and his father's face at the the actual developed photo that drove him into the photography and journalism business. As that memory comes up in your brain, it's almost as if it is playing on a movie screen, except you also have all the emotion that you felt at that time. It is as if you are right there again, except you are also watching it on film. The rest of you will see Lyman concentrating very hard. And then he'll release his grip from Samuel, and he'll get up and move toward the shelves where the film canisters are. And you'll see him then take some negative film. And as he wipes his hand down the film, you'll see the film start to change. Something's going on with it. And then he'll bring the film over to you, Bruno, and let you look at it. Samuel, it takes you a little bit of time, like maybe a minute or two, to recompose yourself. Okay, I'm going to sit down and kind of wind it out of breath, but not feeling any worse for wear. No, it was a pleasant memory, so it's not too bad. But Bruno, as you look at this film now, it is a film. It is a shot-by-shot image from Samuel's point of view of these two people and... You don't recognize these people. You don't know who they are. But you are seeing that memory now played out. Look over to Cookie. Who is pale. Lyman, have have you only done this twice? No. But when the little girl disappeared, that was the last time I did it. Until today. Philip will nod once. What happened to the other films that you've made? Keep them stored. I feel like I can speak for all of us when I say we would love to have access to those films. This is just so unique. And because we study unique phenomenon, I think that we would just like to maybe get into your process a little bit more, if that's okay with you. He's unhappy at that idea of giving those up. Hey, hold on a minute. These are movies that you made, Mr. Ford? Not really. Movies, just the memories put on the transfer to the film medium. You the only one that can do that? Only one I know. Does it take anything out of you when you do it? Does it hurt you when you do it? Or is it just something that you can just, it just happened? It just happened. I can just do it. That That's amazing. Be able to make that and have that actually work and happen. That's, he's what we're looking for. Doesn't have anything to do with the projector. Are you familiar with what happens if people watch these? I know that people feel the emotion of what it is they see. A byproduct. I thought it was worth it in order to try to find the little girl, so... How's this guy's mental stability at this point seem? Right now, he feels a little 
put out because he thought this was done. He had stopped doing this thing that right. he considers to be a gift. And Ambrose kind of bullied him into no longer doing it and then took the projector in the film. Ambrose misconnecting the two. Mr. Ford, this is actually incredible, but not the first incredible thing that we have seen, as you may have guessed from our demeanors. You have answered a lot of our questions today, and I am very thankful for that on a personal level. I'll look around to see if anybody has any quick questions for this guy, but he's disengaging from this conversation. If I may, when did you meet Mr. Buck Milligan before he passed? At that question, he'll look sad and he'll say it was probably about two months after she went missing. They had put him up in the hospice saying he was distraught to the point of maybe hurting himself. So I just went up there and and visited him. Thought maybe I could help. Did you have any other films from Mr. Milligan? No. Just the one, and I just focused on just that day. I, I don't pry into people's lives. Just that day to see if I could spot anything that would give a clue as to what happened to her, but couldn't find anything. Nothing help. Nothing to help. Well, Mr. Ford, it is better that you did not find anything. And while I had to decline your offer, it is for the best that you did not uh, see some of the things that I have seen, so to speak. What happens now? Nothing. If you wish to relocate from Innsmouth, by all means, give us a call. We will find a wonderful cinema for you to work at if you wish to work directly for a government agency. I believe we have a man who would be very excited to meet you. Otherwise, I believe that you will keep your films and we were never here except downstairs enjoying a silent movie, enjoying a cup of tea and paying a excessive amount of money for some hard candies. Ah, and on that note, Philip will reach into his jacket pocket, pull out a billfold, and pull out, like, an amazing sum of ten whole dollars and bribe this guy into silence. I think everybody will be happier that way. He'll look at the rest of you, kind of waiting to make sure you're all in agreement. Yeah, I have no problem. I think you have amazing work here. You can definitely feel the emotion in all of your pieces. That's for sure. He'll look to Bruno. I don't think Bruno necessarily says anything specifically. I think he's getting up. We'll be in town for a couple of days. He'll point down to the flask. Just hang on to that. Just shrugs his shoulders and, and leaves it at that. Lyman just sits there and waits for all of you to... Follow Bruno out? Uh, Philip will thank Mr. Ford for his time. And his gifts are quite legendary. And while he understands that we should keep them quiet, 
Mr. Ambrose is no longer among the living, so if you don't tell, we certainly won't. Slowly nod his head, getting your remaining there. Hmm. Philip will offer a thin smile and take a deep breath and steal himself for the hallway of horrors and follow Bruno out. Mr. Ford, you going to be here a little while more? I mean, where, where are your normally working hours? Cause I'd love to come up and see more of these photos that you got there. It's amazing work. The movie posters? Yeah. You know how hard it is for me to find good work like this? Nobody finds any value in holding on to stuff like this anymore. Yeah, you come by later. I mean, I, I got to show the the movie tonight, so you're more than welcome to sit up here and look at them all you wish. That's great. Thank you. I'll shake his hand and you know, smile and chase off after the guys. As soon as I get out that door, I'm going to call out to, to Bruno and Philip before we get any further into the hallway, though. Cookie, do you follow suit or? Absolutely. I say my thanks. Thanks for the candy. I'm so sorry to have startled you guys. I just, I apologize. It was lovely to meet you, sir. And I look forward to speaking with you again. I would love to genuinely love to see more of your work. So if you reconsider, we're just staying down the road a little bit at the tavern please do look me up my name's charlotte yep nod his head wait for you to exit with the others doesn't quite trust you guys he thinks maybe you're going to come back in a row all right so you guys step out into the hall shut the door he stays inside hey hey guys real quick so i I went back to that cave setup that hey cookie you remember the caves that we found I just shudder. Yeah, I remember. So this is what I found. I pull out one of those pearlescent square thing. And there was like a trail of them that was actually leading into the cave. So I went in a little bit further. I got another one. Pull out the second one. But the odd thing was, is hanging from the roof were four like obelisks. Like you see in those, those, some of those mummy movies, the big tall obelisk, but they were upside down and they were made of the same stuff. There was four of them down there. And made out of this stone. That's what it, I mean, I wasn't going in any farther to take a more of a look because I didn't have nobody else here and it was getting kind of late. I was kind of hungry, but yeah, it looked just like this same stone. And what time did you enter this cave? Well, it was earlier in the morning, but it was so. But it was. I mean, it wasn't. It was past sunrise, close to closer towards noon. I'd say so. Probably about eleven o'clock, ten o'clock, eleven o'clock. I would think. Hmm. Philip's gonna pull out his pockets watch and check it. Storyteller, what time is it currently? Between 5 and 6 p.m. Uh, Samuel, how long do you think you were in that cave? How long did it feel like staring at those obelisks of this luminescent stone? It was time enough for me to set up my tripod and get my camera going. So I'd say probably 10 minutes. 
uh, he'll hold his hand out for the stone. I'll hand it over. And then he'll take it between thumb and middle finger and hold it up and say, A stone much like this one was in the film that Mr. Ford created from Buck Milligan's memories. I have seen one of these at the Esoteric Order of Dagon. It's very hypnotic, and you can lose much time just staring at it. And in the ten minutes that you looked at those obelisks, three hours passed, and there were a trail of these leading into a cave. Samuel, how do you think Molly Milligan disappeared? Philip, who's Molly Milligan? The girl from the movie that Mr. Ford made that disappeared in June of 1910 and returned eight years later with child. Wait a minute. She came back eight years later with child. So we found the girl? Yes. Well, that's, that's awesome. I'm glad you guys found her. Weird that she passed eight years. I have no clue what you're referring to, sir. It sounds like you need to catch me up and I need to get filled in on what you guys did this afternoon, not the other way around. I suppose that, yes, we can sit and discuss these recent developments. And I believe that perhaps a few more discussions with Mr. Ford, perhaps. But... There's nothing left for us here in Innsmouth, so if we wish to make a report to Mr. Patterson about the creation and subsequent uncreation of the film, singular, and he looks at everybody else, because none others were made. Humph. If there are more films out there that could mess with people the way that one messed with me and Bruno. I mean, he almost killed me. I feel like it's in everyone's interest to, you know, store them properly. Who knows where this guy has them under his. Are we still in the theater having this conversation? I would assume we're on our way out. Yeah, we were walking out. Totally walking and talking. I'm not going to say anything, but I'm just going to look at Charlotte and just give her a little bit of a nod. We should head back to the uh, to the inn. Let's find Finn, have a little meeting about what we've all learned. Because I'm sure by now he's been... I don't know. Yes, of course. I know he was sent away with many books. I would like to know more about these obelisks, however. Knowing what I know about the properties of these stones, not the least of which is their value, I believe we have quite the report to write to Agent Patterson. Speaking of Finn. He's reading books. He is reading books. Give me a library use and an occult role. So as you read these books, most of them just talk about the history and the tenets of Dagon, but there's one in there that makes mention of a Animam scriptor. It talks about a set of five books. All right. One of the books is titled Petra, Animam Scriptor. Okay. That okay. should sound familiar. What do you think about this information? Does it mention 
any of the other books or where they might have been or where they were made or who has them? It gives you the names of all of them, which you already knew. It starts to give a, a provenance of where they have been seen. And the last location was in Ireland when all five books were together. Okay. But as you continue reading, you'll see that it suspects that one or two of them have made their way to possibly the Library of Congress, is its guess. Interesting. Well, that's good to know. Very interesting things for future plans. Mm-hmm. Future plans? Mm-hmm. I mean, let's do an in since it does give a, a provenance of the books and where they've been, you'll see that in the past, sometimes they show up at auctions. You could possibly enlist the help of one of your cohorts. Maybe put him on the trail unwittingly. That would be interesting. That would be interesting. Yes, that is. I will search the papers in the morning or when we get back to Boston for auctions that should be happening. What's everybody else doing? Are you guys going back to the inn? Yeah, I think that's the plan, is to go back for derp meeting. Do you guys want to do your derp meeting? I imagine Finn is up in his room when we come in and knock on his door. Yes, would you like? Hey, uh, we come in. Sure thing. Click, click, and then... Everybody rolls in. Piles right in. It's a very awkward situation. So, uh, family meeting, is it? Yes, quite. It has been an eventful afternoon. It's not so. Well, you find anything good in them there books? Uh, nothing too fancy. Something about, um, a big fancy underwater city called Yahanathalia. That's how you pronounce it. It's weird gibberish letters. Those are indeed very strange gibberish letters. Any mention of a Zaboth? Well, I haven't gone through it completely, but no Zaboth yet. Great. And then, uh, smash cut montage, everybody telling everybody everything? I mean, I don't have a problem basically summing it up. Summaries are good. So, as we all know, we came to Innsmouth in order to investigate a film, a very particular film of a man and a girl, a disappearance, and a slow descent into insanity. Here we found several people with a particular look, a obsession with a underwater fish god of Dagon, a peculiar woman with a very peculiar child, who does not like his name and has a very strange eldritch one. In 1910, there was a man named Buck Milligan who had a daughter, Molly. They went on a stroll along the beach. She found a particular stone, almost iridescent, and one could lose many minutes, if not hours, looking upon it. Buck Milligan did so, and by the time he had realized it, he looked up just in time to see Molly disappear taken by a fishman, which we all know is a deep one. 
He ran back to town, screaming that a fishman had taken his daughter, and the people of Innsmouth feared for his sanity and locked him away in the hospice. I want to interject here for a second. Yes. Are we sure that they feared for his sanity, or if you've noticed the people, little fishy? A very good point, Bruno. Let us say that fearing for his sanity is an assumption on our part, because we are a charitable people. Do we agree on this? How about we put it down as that's the official story? Yes. The official story is that they feared for his sanity, they locked him away in the hospice, and through rapid and repeated injections of various drugs, he finally passed away from a broken heart. Again, that is conjecture. Enter Lyman Ford. A gentleman with a particular ability to read and view memories as if they are upon the silver screen. He is able to transmute them to film, to make movies of somebody's memories. Who visits Mr. Buck Milligan having heard the story of the disappearance of his daughter Molly. Having seen through Buck Milligan's eyes, he decides that he is going to try to help this poor man, and he makes a film and starts to show it. Until one curator of Miskatonic University, Mr. Ambrose, chanced to see the film and, of course, made the wrong connections to it, believing it was the projector. He swore Mr. Ford to secrecy, took the projector, took the film, and hid it away for ten years. In 1918, eight years after her disappearance, Molly Milligan reappears, now 18 years old, with child upon the very beach which she disappeared. The people of Innsmouth would not speak of it, and attempted to keep things quiet and swept under the rug. She gives birth to a son. She names Abner. He names himself Zaboth. He is beloved amongst the town, and he becomes a regular at the esoteric order of Dagon. Mr. Lyman Ford maintains his position as cinematographer and showing particular films of great joy and merriment to the people of Innsmouth. No further films will be made. Any other films are assumed destroyed. That all being said, I believe the matter of the Milligans may be put to bed. Now let us speak of the matter of the Deep One, which you have seen, Bruno, Samuel, Finn. I have not. There is also a cavern upon the beach, which is littered with these stones. These stones have not been seen in other areas that I have known about, although I have seen its like before. And much of the jewelry that is locally produced uses these stones in which people lose the passage of time. Within this cave are four large obelisks that hang from the ceiling made of this material. Potentially dangerous, as Samuel looked upon them for just a few moments while setting up his camera and lost three and a half hours. We are fortunate he did not lose his life. As a follow-up to that note, we did find, and I'll give a description of the area we found the the chimney in that likely leads into the same cave. 
that may have additional entrance routes. So, we were sent to investigate a film. We have done so. Our duty as investigators of the Department of Esoteric Relics and Parchment is complete. Our recommendation is that a specialized team returns to Innsmouth to investigate the minerals and potentially the cave system beneath the city. Is this correct? I'd also wouldn't mind seeing them investigate the order because there's something not right going down there. Yes. Finn, what have you found from the books that the order gave you? There's a, a city that they've they talk about pretty frequently in this books about uh, I'm thinking maybe they've gone there recently themselves I don't know exactly where it is I'm thinking it's maybe nearby the city was Yohanneth Le um I haven't had enough time to flip through everything completely yet so there could be more to find well then I suggest we stay in Innsmouth for another day If there's anything else we wish to investigate, we will do so. I believe we should refrain from returning to the beach, to the esoteric order of Dagon, and perhaps we should leave the cinema alone. There was also the offer to take Mr. Ford with us, bring him back to home base, as it were. Let's say give him a better outlet for his talents. Yeah. The offer was made. I don't believe he took it, but we shall... You know, I will return to the theater and ensure that he has our contact information. I just realized I completely forgot to give it to him. I will do so on the morrow. So if you need to, I could do that. I um, I was planning on going for a wee walk. Let's see. Uh, no, it, it will be perfectly fine. I will take care of it. As you have books to study, and of course... You should get out and stretch your legs, of course, but uh, you you needn't you needn't take care of the films. I shall I shall return to the cinema. It will be fine. Yo, I'm gonna roll something on Philip because feeling some kind of way about a thing. Yeah, Finn's going to as well because Finn has a reason that he wants to go. No, nope, Philip is just going to handle it himself. He is the the social one of the group, the diplomat. Somehow. Mm. I did mention to Lyman where we were staying and that I would love to get a look at his additional films. I don't trust him. It wasn't very difficult for you to push him over the edge into uh, making a film when he had sworn he would never do it again. I think that you should talk to Agent Patterson and we should take him with us. I'm sure he could be useful in the future for Derp. Well, I will speak to Agent Partisan. I will make the recommendation that he come with us, but as we did tell him, we do not have a resting authority. I do not want to go back upon that word. That shall be up to the agent to come up and speak with him personally. But I will also remind Mr. Ford of that when I see him on the morrow. Just look around the room to see if anybody's got anything else they want to bring up under that situation and context. Capital. If there is nothing else, I believe the hour nears 5.30. 
and that means that the Collinses have made another sumptuous feast for their guests. By that, I mean us. Splendid. Snack sounds delightful right about now. Please don't be fish heads. Please don't be fish heads. Fish tail us tonight. Very well. I shall make a phone call, and I will see you all at dinner. Philip's going to get up and let himself out of the room. So, Philip, um, the team has uh, gone back to the Inn at Innsmouth, sitting down for another lovely dinner. Before dinner, Finn had uh, said he was just going to go for a walk, stretch his legs, fresh air, because he had been studying all day. But as all of you sit around the table and have dinner, everyone is there. It's another wonderful, delicious meal. Sarah has concocted some kind of a jello, but it's got fish pieces in it. And it's actually in the shape of a fish. And then she's put like radishes on top to make scale. Like she put in a lot of work. Like she really got creative on it. I want to go. It's like a lemon jello with like a white fish inside. Oh, okay. So you finish your lovely meal and everyone starts to retire to different parts of the inn. Some probably packing because you guys should be leaving in the morning. What is Philip doing? Philip has remembered that he has to go to the theater in order to, as he has told the rest of the dirt team, to give the contact information so that if anything should come up, they can give the Boston office a call. So Philip will, as everybody's kind of getting ready to go, he will grab his valise and his pipe, and he is going to slip out the front door while everybody is distracted and make his way down to the cinema, light his pipe as he does so. And that nice uh, warm pipe helps on this cold winter's evening. And you make your way down. By the time you get to the movie theater, the lights are still on for it. You don't see anybody outside hanging around. You don't, like, you look up at the time that the show was on and and it's long past the showtime. Oh, how curious. Philip will look at the marquee and the lights and frown over his pipe and shake his head. And he will go and pass the box office and see if the door is unlocked. As you pull on the door to enter, it is unlocked. Oh, duly curious. And Philip will step inside and look around the lobby, see if it's in a, a state of disarray from, you know, people walking out after ha- watched, having watched a movie. You'll see that the trash cans are full of whatever the moviegoers have uh, dumped in. You'll see little bits here and there, popcorn or whatever, kind of strewn on the carpet. It does look like the movie has ended and people have left. The concession stand lights are still on. The the lobby lights are on. Right now, as you're looking around, this looks empty. I say, Mr. Mr. Ford, are you are you still here? 
I, I would assume that you must be here. Listen, check. Strain and, and listen, and there's not a sound. This movie house is silent. Philip is going to check the concession stand, the door behind the concession stand. You can't hear Mr. Ford. Mr. Ford's got to be here somewhere. Maybe he's behind the concession stand, or maybe he's sweeping up in the, the main cinema theater. Uh, see if I can find him or, or anyone else that can direct me to Mr. Ford. So as you move your way behind the concession stand and open that door and, and look and see a storeroom with candy and other supplies, no Mr. Ford, and then you make your way back around the, the counter and head toward the doors to the theater and you open it up and, and you see rows and rows of empty seats. You see the theater lights are on. The screen is lit, but it is just white light. That's very strange. I should go up into the film projection booth and perhaps he is there. Perhaps he is distracted by something. I don't, I don't know. Philip is going to carefully head up the stairs and go up a few stairs and take a listen. Okay. And then probably about halfway up, if he still hasn't heard anything, he's going to call out to Mr. Ford. He's got to be up in the booth. As you go up a few stairs and call out Mr. Ford's name, again, no response, no sound. You go up a little bit more and you look. Still, there's there's nothing. When you reach the top of the stairs and you see the projector booth, the door is shut, but you can see light coming from under the door. Ah, Mr. Ford, you must be distracted. It is uh, Philip Weisel with the Department of Esoteric Relics and Parchment. I... I beg your pardon, but I I had to make some requests, and I uh, thought it would be prudent to come after after the films had ended for the evening. I see that um, they must have run late or something, because the theater is still in in a bit of a shambles. And as he's talking, he's walking closer. He's going to go ahead and open up the door and peek in and raise his voice if he needs to. Mr. Ford might be just can't hear a thing over that film projector. So as Philip is talking and opens the door, he is struck immediately by the form of a person lying face down in a pool of blood and a crumpled up shirt lying next to the body in the same pool of blood. Oh, bugger. You can see that this is indeed Lyman Ford. Philip is sadly no stranger to bodies, but this is a shock. He'd spoken to the man mere hours before, and everything was fine, and now something clearly is not. He is going to step inside the projector booth, close the door. He is going to place his valis against the door to block it, and then he is going to turn Mr. Ford over to see if there is any chance this man is still alive. Medicine, first aid... You're trying to fumble around. I'm blood is from out of his mouth. You can see he must have coughed up some blood because it's run down his chin. You kind of place your hand, trying to find a place to place your fingers to feel for a pulse. You grab his wrist. You're not able to find anything, either from a state of panic or just ineptitude. Who knows? But, uh, Philip, as you've turned that body over and are doing this... 
You can plainly see that there is a large wound going from the center of his stomach over to the side. A deep gash of a cut. And there's a shirt next to him. Mm Mm-hmm. Crumpled up shirt lying in the same pool of blood. My footprints are probably going to be in this. Uh, Are there any other footprints in in the blood? No. I... Hmm. Mr. Ford, I am so dreadfully sorry. I had hoped to give you a proper cup of Devonshire. And now it seems your light has been extinguished forever, has it not? Philip is going to start searching the body. May as well toss his pockets. You'll find a, a lighter, a pack of cigarettes... You'll find a wallet with his ID, you know, a dollar, some coin, not much else in there. You'll find a really, really cheap pocket watch. Anything else in the room that is disturbed other than the the shirt? Make a spot it. As you look around the room, it appears to be, with the exception of the projector that is no longer running a movie. It's just still lit up. Everything appears to be identical to when you were here. There's movie canisters on shelves. There's the big book of movie posters that Sam was looking at, placed back where he originally found it. The only difference between then and now is Mr. Ford's body, the blood, and the shirt that you can see. Philip is going to pick up and move his valise away from the door. Open the door. He's going to scramble downstairs as quickly as he can. He's going to find the largest popcorn bag that he can have access to. Mm-hmm. You know where the uh, storage closet is. You can easily find if there are no bags in the front behind the counter, there's definitely some in that storage unit. It is now an evidence bag. He is going to gingerly pick up the shirt. He's got tweezers in his valise. And he is going to pick that shirt up, put it in the popcorn bag. He's going to close up the popcorn bag and put it back in his valise. Are you looking at um, the shirt as you do this or anything? Yes. Roll spot hidden, just, just, you know, it's covered in blood. Let's see what you see. So you notice as you pick up the shirt, it is a man's shirt. It is an overshirt. It's not an undershirt. You'll see that where the shirt was crumpled on uh, the floor and where it's touched that pool of blood, you'll see there's another blood stain on the chest area of the shirt. And you'll also notice that the shirt is about one size smaller than you. Hmm. A blood stain on it at the chest level? Mm-hmm. Smaller than me, overshirt. Okay, okay. Hmm. Philip's going to put the shirt in the popcorn bag, as he said. Mm-hmm. He is going to pull out his notebook, and he is going to write this down. He is going to write down everything that he has seen in here, the way that the body was, the gash, the man coughed up blood before he died, all of it. 
And once that is done, he'll snap the notebook shut, put it back in his valise, and he is going to take that valise back downstairs. He's going to try and find a telephone. You'll see a, a payphone in the lobby. That will do perfectly. He is going to call Agent Patterson. Okay. This is uh, later in the evening, obviously a little after hours for Agent Patterson. So you'll kind of catch him. He'll sound a little tired, like long dayish, Not exasperated, just... Hello, Agent Patterson. Patterson, it's Philip in Innsmouth. Something terrible has happened. We have discovered the, the end of the movie. However, the man responsible for it has been murdered. Out of character real quick. You guys gave Patterson a report earlier in the evening, right? Correct. Okay, so you've already called and told him about Lyman Ford. Yes. Patterson will sound a little more awake now. What do you... What do you mean he's... What happened? We went back to the inn at Innsmouth. We had dinner. I notified them that I was going to return to the cinema because I wanted to make sure he had the contact information for your office in case he decided to come to Boston because a man of his talents is very useful to us. I come to the theater. It is still open. Nobody is here. It is unclean. I go to the film projection booth. I open the door, and the man is face down in a pool of his own blood. He has been stabbed to death. There is a gaping wound in his chest. It has been moved to the side as if somebody was trying to remove something inside him. Somebody left a bloody overshirt that I have placed in a clean popcorn bag. It's the best that I can do, but I have it in my valise. And the, the murder weapon? I found nothing. There was nothing in there. No scissors, no knives, no, uh, no, no railroad spikes. There was nothing there. It was just the man had been stabbed, but whoever did it took the weapon with them. Nobody else from the Boston office knows yet. You were the first one I called. I will call the inn next to see if I can bring uh, Samuel and Bruno and, and Cookie and, and, and Finn over here so we may complete an investigation, or would you rather I not and simply close this place down and wait for you? Um, I mean, I'd really, I really... I need to know what made that wound, and, and if you can't find a weapon, and, and none of you are able... I mean, none of you are able... I, I need to get a medical person up there to check this body out. So, I want you to secure the scene. I want you to lock it all up. Don't let anybody in there. I mean, I assume you can find keys to the place somewhere. Yes, I should be able to find such a thing. So, shut everything down. Lock it up. Put a note on the door saying, Family emergency, out of town. I don't care. Just come up with something. And, um, you guys leave, just, I'll, I'll have somebody up there in a few hours. Just leave the keys at the inn, and, um, don't tell the innkeepers what it's to. Just leave it, and, and my medical person, they'll, that agent will pick up the keys and then go and examine, and I, I think I'm just gonna send a team up there anyway to, to handle the other stuff that's going on. So, just, lock down the place. Don't let anybody in there. Yes. Uh, affirmative, Agent Patterson. I wish I was calling with better news. I shall take care of this immediately. I will ensure nobody else is in here before I lock up. And Philip. Uh, yes? I mean nobody. 
not even the other agents of your team. Yes, very well. I shall ensure every door was locked and barred. Okay. Like I said, somebody will be up there. They'll go over the scene. And uh, this uh, shirt that you have in the popcorn bag? Yes. Just um, leave it by the body. But can you draw a picture of exactly where you found it and anything else you saw or noticed? Because you've kind of moved, uh, you know, disrupted the scene. Uh, yes, I understand. Uh, I will leave a sketching as as best I can. Okay. Yeah. Few hours. I'll have a, a team up there, and they'll secure the the scene and and start investigating. Yes, of course, of course, very well. And uh, he'll hang up. All right. Well, Philip will do all of those things. Philip. You went here for a reason, and I want to say it wasn't just for contact info. It was not. How does Philip feel right now looking at Mr. Ford's dead body? Frustrated, I think. Philip came to the cinema not only to give the contact information it made for an excellent cover, but having seen the curious case of Mr. Lyman Ford, Philip was going to have a film made of his favorite memories with Bertram, because he hasn't seen Bertram in a long time. They're on different continents, after all. Uh-huh. And when he thinks that he's going to, you know, get get that nice movie... He comes in and the man is dead. And it's very frustrating. Make a sanity check. Philip's frustrated. He may be disappointed, but he still has the memories with Bertram. So it's really not a huge loss. So Right. He was looking forward to being able to see on the screen the dark nights at the Museum of Egypt the both of them poring over old Egyptian scrolls and hieroglyphs and the maps to King Tutankhamun's tomb or Nefertiti's tomb. And just being able to share that moment with them, that, that look that they would share when they found the next secret so they'd be able to find these relics. He remembers it as plain as day, but to be able to see it on, on the screen would be something to treasure. Mm-hmm. Philip gets everything done as, as Agent Patterson directed, and then he just takes that one uh, glance around the room and just realizes that, that that desire he had is no longer attainable. He'll nod once, and he'll swallow that lump in his throat. I should very much like to write to Bertram right now, although I don't believe he would believe what I was going to write him. Ah, well. And you um, exit the projector booth, go down the stairs, shut off the lights. You'll find the keys behind the concession stand. You'll have to tear a piece of paper out of your journal to uh, make your sign to put in the door. What do you write down? Closed until further notice. Gone to New York to get projector parts. 
So the lights are, are shut, your sign's in your door, you step out of the movie house, do you lock it all up? Do you go right back to the inn? No. Where do you go? Philip is going to stand there looking at the cinema for a long moment before he pulls his pipe back out, tamps it down, and lights the bowl again. He's going to look down towards the inn at Innsmouth, turn the other direction, and take a freezing walk through downtown Innsmouth, alone but for his thoughts. Nod his head. Wait for you to exit with the others. Doesn't quite trust you guys. He thinks maybe you're going to come back and arrest I'm certainly not going to come back and arrest him. No, I don't see any reason to. Hmm. Is there a clock nearby that uh, Philip can look at? I'm going to go with that's a negative ghost rider. No, I mean, you have a watch. I'm sure you have like a, a, a watch. Oh, okay. Well, Pocket watch. You're, you're, ah, you're I have a gentleman. I have pockets. You, have pockets, you fill them with watches. Okay. No, they're filled with candy now. <laughs> Mind. I'm not sharing all my candy with Philip. Why not? Philip paid for it. Thank you, sir. You're going to expense that. You know it. House. So Philip's going to pull out his pockets, watch, and check it. Uh, Samuel, how long do you think you were in that cave? How long did it feel like staring at those obelisks of this luminescent stone? It was time enough for me to set up my tripod and get my camera going, so I'd say probably ten minutes. Sam, you got there at noon, and you headed back down to the town square, and it was like 3.30, 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Okay, modify the time. No, 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 don't no, modify no. the time, Sam. <laughs> that's what I felt. That's, to me, it felt like 10 minutes because, you know, I was adjusting yes. my camera. Yeah. That's the only thing I did. I took yeah. two photos. I just, okay. Well, that's good to know. Very interesting things for future plans. Mm-hmm. Future plans? Mm-hmm. I mean, you want to make a luck roll? We'll call that. What used to be an idea world. Okay. No, you would I mean, never have you... this idea. Uh, I was going to say, why don't you do like a... He only has six luck. <laughs> yeah, that's why I was trying to give him the better... The EDU or the int roll instead of the luck roll. Int. For All right, let's do an int. Absolutely. Your your friend Bruno has advocated for you. Yes. <laughs> What's everybody else doing? Are you guys going back to the inn? Yeah, I think that's the plan, is to go back for derp meeting. Do you guys want to do your derp meeting? Reconnoiter, reconnoiter debrief? What are we going to do now? Yeah, we can do that. We All should right. restart Craig and take a break, though, if we're going to do it. Yes, let's take a break. All right. We're almost done, but let's take a break. Yeah. You think we're almost done, but we'll see. Oh, I know. I know. You guys are going to burn down the city. I know. I know. Yo, this place is fucking evil. 
It is the 8th of January. This is the finale of the 8th of January recording in which we do the debrief and put together all of the clues to build the case to give to the agent. Patterson. That was that was for Pams. I feel targeted. And that's probably because I am targeted and I understand that. I mean, I don't have a problem basically summing it up. Summaries are good. Because it will be the summary that is essentially, okay, here are the two things. Here's the thing about the film. Here's the thing about the weird cave with the shiny rocks and the fish man. And here's the thing about burn the entire town to the ground. It's all evil. We'll leave that under plan B. For burning. Precisely. I want to go. It's like a lemon jello with like a white fish inside. Oh, okay. I wasn't expecting this kind of trifle <laughs> until the 50s, but Sarah no, is extra. I double check. Jello came out. Oh, I, I don't know. I, 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 yeah, yeah, jello, yes, but the hot dog trifle, I was <laughs> not so sure about. Oz here, just chiming in at the end to say thanks for continuing to support us with your ears, bumping us by word of mouth, and even with Patreon donations, which is pretty awesome. If you aren't on our Discord, feel free to come on by and get it without a net welcome. If you are, you know how we do. We couldn't continue to do this without your support and feedback, so if you do have feedback, this is me personally begging you to let us know. We know we can always do better, and we love to know when we're doing well. Anyway, a couple of disclaimers. The music you heard in the intro and the outro is from the Great Old Ones and Other Beings album by Graham Plowman. You can find that on YouTube. It is some excellent Call of Cthulhu music. Call of Cthulhu 7th edition is produced by Chaosium Inc. Without a Net podcast has no affiliation with Chaosium Inc. We just think 7th edition is pretty bomb and we're going to go ahead and try it out. We get no kickbacks from Chaosium, nor do we expect any, although that may change in the future, but probably not. I hope you all had a wonderful time listening to this, and we will see you next week.